Welcome to the Parole Podcast. I am your host, Sunia Moyavoidi Alexandra. My guest is Adrien Allier, a PhD graduate student in American politics at Georgia State University in Atlanta. This first episode is special, not only because Adrien is a dear friend, but also because he shares about his work on American politics, the influence of culture on the US elections. Being days away from the 2020 election, I wanted to start with this subject. We didn't shy away from giving our opinions. So I'm glad that you joined this conversation and I'm inviting you to subscribe and leave a comment. So now we're starting the podcast and I have my friend, aka nemesis, aka someone who, I don't know, I don't know how to say that, someone who likes politics as much as I do, but we are so different. It's like maybe not red and blue, <laughs> something like white and black. Let's just say it. <laughs> so cliche. So Adrienne Adrien Allier, future professor. That's why I'm telling you, because that's what's up. So who are you? Where are you where you are? And tell us, a, tell us about you. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, um, man. So I'm Adrienne. I'm currently studying American politics mm-hmm. and comparative politics at Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia, in mm-hmm. the US. Uh, pretty interesting state uh, to live in because it's, um, let's just say there are a lot of events happening here right now. We have two, two mm-hmm. races for the Senate. It's pretty interesting to follow. Um, so what I do in terms of studies right now, and it's still something that can evolve with time, but I study mostly uh, polarization in the US. And especially my main interest is on what we call expressive politics, mm-hmm. uh, which to be very brief about it, um, you have a lot of, of political science and sociology that focuses on um, what we call um, rationality. And usually it's basically utility maximization. So making the most out of your decisions And the expressive perspective is a little bit different. It's saying making the most out of your decisions in terms of how it makes you feel. (laughs) So sometimes you're gonna get into an argument because it makes you feel like you defended, you've been consistent with what you believe in. Mm -hmm. And that's not rational to get into an argument for nothing, but it is an expressive rationality. So this is what I'm interested in, in terms of the American context. And Mm -hmm. in Europe, I'm pretty interested in populism, which is a a growing field in political science. Um, other than that, uh, I've been in the U.S. for two years now. Well, two years and a half, almost. Uh, this, is my, this is my third time in the U.S., second time in Atlanta. And um, yeah, I've been, I've had a lot of the experience of American life, whether uh, yeah. with poor people, uh, blue people, red people, rich people. Mm-hmm. So it's been pretty enriching and yeah okay <laughs> so being french because uh for those who don't know that adrien is french he is french from the north of france because that's what's <laughs> up uh tell us more about your interest about um american politics compared to the french politics because you have no interest whatsoever to what's going on in your i mean not interest of course not like but you do have like uh, something for the americans um, for the american politics that really speaks to like where you're studying now and it's just you know it's more like a passion than something else so yeah so I guess the the main thing is it's a simple um system 
uh, to some extent because mm-hmm. you get you get two parties you get a lot of that uh, duality ambivalence between the two parties and it's very interesting to see how far it can go mm-hmm. and also frightening to see how far it can go sometimes especially now um, but when I started that I was more into uh, when I started my let's say academic studies master's degree in France mm-hmm. um, it was more about culture than anything else uh, I was interested in Mexican Americans I was interested in hip-hop in uh, conservative culture so seeing what we see on TV, what we see uh, in culture, more than just the politics, more than the mm-hmm. elections or the actions of uh, elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at culture for a while and you realize how much of, like the, the world that is being described in American culture is very, um, there's a lot of fighting spirit in uh, a lot of American culture and mm-hmm. it's very divided. And I guess that's, that's the main thing I'm interested in. I just want to see how it's going to end up. I, I, I'm not very optimistic about it, but I think it's very interesting to, to follow. And yeah, that's why, that's why yeah. I started that. Good, good for you. So the main topic of the podcast or the discussion, which I hope will not take three days, because this is what we usually do when we argue, we take sometime in finding yeah. the middle but we never do so i wanted uh, wanted you to participate because i like the way you analyze things and just the outside um analysis obviously of being uh, in america and having traveled the world obviously it does help having read books about what's happening outside as well <laughs> that's for sure i uh, wanted to ask you about the thesis that you worked on on your master's degree this book about culture and the influence of culture, uh, right side, right wing and left wing, and how it influenced uh, Americans. Uh, although I do like like what you wrote about, you know, what was on it. I'll bring the link. Obviously, I still have some trouble understanding how people are really following influences, or just because you have a hundred million followers on Instagram and this one is telling you to vote for this person. I still don't get it. Although it is the same as following one like Fox news or whatever, one journalist giving him her opinion that, you know, it means that uh, that person is sharing the truth or, you know, that's the end you should vote for for them. So tell me about the genesis of the thesis, how it came about and how you presented in France, obviously, and with that, a bit of an analysis of how you you see it now, basically, how we evolve with time. Okay, so just a uh, just a disclaimer before before starting, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, I've done that five years ago, so mm-hmm. it's not that fresh, but I can yeah. still talk about it a little bit. Um, <laughs> I guess it's going to surprise you a little bit, but one thing that got me into it. So first of all, I this is something I listen to in terms of hip hop. And I mean, when I started getting interested in American society, um, I'm not the kind of person who's gonna be only following one source in terms of the media. Mm-hmm. So I want, I want a source, um, a source that's gonna be journalistic, a source that's gonna be cultural. I want a source that's gonna be on the right, on the left mm-hmm. wing of the spectrum. So. This is how it started. Although right now I'm a little bit uh, fed up with following everywhere because <laughs> it can it can be a little bit depressing right now. But 
uh, at the time the site started. And one thing that I was uh, surprised about, and that speaks to a bias that we have in academia that does exist um, for some good reasons and for some bad reasons, um, we tend to focus on um, when we don't follow academic sources, when we follow uh, sources in the media, we're going to follow sources that have or have been accused of having um, some kind of liberal bias. Mm -hmm. So at the time when I started that uh, first project I worked on, it was also a way to see, is there something on the liberal side of the spectrum that is as pronounced in terms of bias as uh, talk radio? and Fox News, which are the, the topics of uh, the right-wing part of the, of the thesis. And the only thing that comes close to it, because there's no, we're gonna talk, we're gonna come back to it, but there's no unified front in, on the liberal side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of the reasons why, why they've been losing some elections uh, in re recent decades, according to me. But, um, so the only thing that came close to it, and I had some knowledge of it, is hip-hop and politicized hip-hop specifically, mm -hmm. because you get a lot of commercial hip-hop, of course, you get trap music and things like that that mm -hmm. do not speak uh, directly, that do not have a message, a direct message. They can have an implicit political message, but explicit political message, they do not have that. But you can find uh, a lot of sources that do have that. Mm -hmm. And that was what I explored in that part of the of the work I did back in the days. Okay. And how do you see, uh, like for now, like let me talk about the first chapter that really <laughs> made me laugh because I guess it's a reality. It's the the way Americans and I'll say the right uh, the right part of America really still see uh, President Reagan. Mm -hmm. You know, the mysticism that's behind him is just like either he's a hero or he's just, you know, the worst person on, yeah. on the surface of the earth, whatever. So part of it is the exaggeration that you have in culture. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're going to speak about something has to be dualistic. Mm -hmm. um, you do. You, there's a there's a saying that. Um, well, it's not it's not in English, but right now it's, it's coming to my head, but you, you cannot sell the center. It's not bankable to sell the center. You don't sell moderation, mm. uh, which is one of the biggest problems with American politics right now, because moderation is something that a lot of scholars are appealing, appealing to right now, just to put an end to um, what they see as the backsliding of democracy. It doesn't sell. It's not something that the media is interested in, in selling. It's mm -hmm. not something that culture is interested in selling. You have to have something that is impactful. And so the vision of Reagan, um, it's pretty much like Reagan comes in the 80s and it is pretty, pretty much a, a break from the past. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in a weird era with Watergate. Then we get Ford, who's not really charismatic. Then we get Carter and mm -hmm. we get a very good campaign from Reagan at the time, uh, which sells a change mm -hmm. uh, that in office he might not have completely um, achieved because uh, it is not something that is desirable to please the American people to go all out conservative in terms of fiscal conservatism, for mm -hmm. instance, and social conservatism. 
Um, but people, at least in rhetoric in the US, they tend to agree with conservative pr principles more than with, than with liberal principles, especially on the economy. Yeah. In practice, that's not necessarily the case, but um, so you get that figure that changes from the past, that break, that break up from um, years of, we can still call it the FDR era, even in the 80s, because it's the New Deal era. Mm -hmm. It's the New Deal, then Great Society with Johnson in the 60s. And we're still having that. Nixon tried to change it, but the legacy of Nixon is basically messed up because of yeah. Watergate. And here comes Reagan. And so we're looking back at Reagan 20 years later after... Um, after some failures of the conservative regime, let's call it that, after the 80s. So the 80s were pretty successful, but then you get Bush, uh, father, mm -hmm. and then you get the victory of Clinton. But even in what Clinton does, you see that there's still a legacy of conservatism. The Clinton presidency, for instance, you're getting the tough and crime bills that we're talking about, that we mm -hmm. talked about, um, that they talked about at the debate. Um, two days ago, was two days ago, I think, um, you get things that are, in terms of policy, and move to the right. You mm -hmm. cannot propose some things that are as progressive as you would have proposed in the 60s, for instance. So in the 2000s, you have a movement that is losing a little bit of steam, the conservative movement, um, and you need to have an idol. And oh, yeah. the most, um, the purest figure that you can find is Reagan at the time. Mm -hmm. And so you, you're going to start to see a lot of talk about traditional conservatism on Fox, on uh, Rush Limbaugh, someone I studied a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't <laughs> want to go back to those days, but <laughs> listening to Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, because um, you got to know that a lot of um, what started the media revolution a little bit, what um, is called the South Park Conservatives by one of the authors that I cite. It's basically the belief that the media is biased, which is still mm -hmm. to this day, you're going to hear it on mm -hmm. uh, Republican rhetoric, um, in Republican rhetoric. So just, uh, just one thing, I use Republican and conservative interchangeably for the present, because this is pretty accurate. For the 80s, I'm not going to use that as much. I'm just going okay. to say conservatives. Um, but you can say um, that that idea of a bias has always been there. Mm -hmm. Idea of liberal bias. And it works in terms of business. Fox worked. When it yeah. started, it worked. Yeah. Talk radio, it works. Yeah. Right-wing talk radio. Because left-wing uh, talk radio, it's been tried. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Keith Olbermann, for instance. It didn't work on the long term. Okay. So there's a demand on the right for that, for a vision of the world where things are easy. It's one side against the other, <laughs> and that's what that's what they sold for since the since the mid 1990s. That's what they've been selling. Okay. So, if I may add something, because you were sa saying something about Reagan, and obviously I haven't listened to uh, Limbo anything, but I've obviously heard some rhetorics and. But my understanding and my view, even when I read your work and when I read books, is that they, st they stand for values. I'm talking about conservatives. Like they, they stand for values. What are those values? It's like family, uh, you know, like less government in meddling or whatever. Uh, basically, le less government in everything, you know. Uh, for those who are believers and Christians, we want 
prayers back at home, like back at home at school. And so they're standing for something. And for me, when I look back to, I don't know, uh, Clinton, I was maybe younger, but starting with Bush and I just, you know, that's what I saw. I was like, those people are really into their families. This is like, maybe it's crazy because I was a teenager, but it makes sense now that in my thirties that to be like, okay, I'm standing for something. I'm, you know, um, why do we think like all these guys, not all of them, but just how we, we talk about conservatives as if they were like the devil basically. And they're looking for a way to sustain themselves with their values. And remember we're in America where basically you can do whatever, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to call yourself a frog tomorrow, you can call yourself a frog. So for those who still have values, why do they have this, um, like this problem basically? I, I guess you, you have, you have to make a difference between the family values you're talking about, traditional mm-hmm. values and everything that's around it. So when you talk about family values, this is perfectly fine. And I understand that a lot of the American people are attaching a lot of value to that. Mm-hmm. But over the years, it's a coalition. It's a Republican coalition, not conservative, but Republican yeah. coalition. Mm. So when you're talking about um, family values and less government intervention, those two are not necessarily together. At the beginning, they were not together. Mm-hmm. And there's still people that are going to emphasize the first or the second. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to care about the other one. So it's a coalition. And I guess one of the things that you have to add to the family values part is that it's very much oriented towards one image of the family, the community. Mm-hmm. That image is usually white, suburban. And it's not necessarily an inclusive version of that. You mm-hmm. have black conservatives, but why, yeah. are they, why are they a minority? Because there is, to an extent, in the discourse that is being uh, used by um, conservative el- elites and Republican elites, there's this idea that it's not in, an inclusive ideal. It's not an inclusive objective to maintain family values and things like that. It is targeted to a specific part of the population and that's why it's as racially charged right now and it it has been it was muted for a while but the racial implications of the values that we're talking about and it's not necessarily the people that have that in their minds but the discourse that that has been around the values has that in the subtext okay I, i see what you're saying Okay, I'll, I'll get that. I will talk that about that later on with BLM and the movement. Uh, if you talk about Reagan, talk about Barack Obama then, you know, like the hero, the messiah, the, the guy who did it all. But, you know, on paper, at the end of the day, you can say, uh, you know, how um, rappers and hip hop really made a huge deal about who he was. And just to call, I remember him being elected. I was just, you know, I'm not even American. I was like, this is really huge. America is changing. But I did not expect him just to cure the problems of the world. <laughs> I just, I was like this, you know, to have his name and his face just there. It's amazing. But I'm not expecting to end racism. I don't know, little things like that. Or just to cure Africa's problems or Kenya or whatever. So for me, I understand that people may have been, you know, deceived or whatever, disappointed. 
what was the the vision of the hip hop culture before uh, 08 and how we have to deal with his literally his legacy now so i guess it comes back to what i've what i've said before it's a lot of simplification yeah. you need heroes in culture mm. and there was a need for a symbol like obama yeah so that's what we're seeing in uh, the culture I was talking about in, in what I wrote back, back then. But um, it's in terms of what he has done, and now that I'm more from the political science perspective, mm-hmm. and that we've seen two debates like that, I think the argument about being in office for 47 years or being in office for eight years, it's, go- it's always going to resonate. Mm-hmm because we believe that politicians and especially presidents have more power than they actually do. And part of it is with the culture that I described, which is a culture of exaggeration. So, and a lot of of it comes also from those politicians themselves, um, where it's all about promises on the campaign trail. Mm that you quickly forget. That's part of the game. A lot of people who are into politics, they understand, well, they understand. They accept that fact. Yeah, that of course. For you're those gonna get who a lot of, Yeah. Yeah. But for those, like, obviously, we're not talking about for those who are really in the game and who know it's a game at the end of the day. But for those who are, like, in a backseat and be like, I expect him to be, you know, ta-ta-ta. Like, what? I mean, you, you always get those expectations because especially with Obama and with Reagan because there are presidents who break away from something and they have a novelty effect. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you come into the 80s, into the 80s with a, a clear conservative message, that's a novelty effect. When you come into um, 2008 being a minority member, um, it's a clear symbolical effect. And this is going to aggrandize, it's going to make it, it's going to make it more, um, it's going to make it bigger, the expectation of a clear change, whether in terms of uh, racial politics, whether in terms of, it's like with one. And our side won. And so given that we won, we're going to see everything that we wished for. Mm. That's not how it works in reality. But that's how it is presented in culture a mm. lot. And so what, what you had uh, in hip hop at the time, for, except for a few exceptions, because usually the hip hop I talked about was even further left than what Obama represented, mm-hmm. because Obama wasn't a leftist at all, despite yeah. what a lot of conservatives said. But yeah, we saw, we saw that glorification on one side and especially we saw um, on the other side because of a more unified media um, uh, media coalition mm-hmm. and co- cultural coalition, we saw something that was uh, a clear backlash. Uh, and what was new to that backlash was that what was being told on Fox, what was being told mm-hmm. uh, by Limbo and others, it had implications, it had uh, consequences. You see the Tea Party, you see um, Republican leaders 
on the day after the 2008 election saying that the goal is to obstruct as much as possible. So you see, uh, you see um, a change in politics where, because before you had that game on the electoral um, trail mm-hmm. and in government, you still had a little bit of cooperation. Um, so when we talk, for instance, of the 60, late 60s, 70s, it's the era where the parties are pretty meaning, meaningless in terms of governance. Mm-hmm. Now it's not the case. We, since the 80s, we've seen it come back. And especially after 2000, um, after the first uh, Bush presidency, we're seeing it um, even increase even more. Uh, that's what they call polarization, but polarization among elites, meaning that we're going to get gridlock, we're going to get uh, nothing of substance is going to be passed if the government is divided. Mm. And this is something that is very marketable for culture as well, when culture is mixed with politics, because it's that dualistic, that ambivalent vision of the US, and that's very easy to sell. When you go to the movies, like most Americans, they don't want to go to a movie where you have eight characters with uh, complex personalities and you don't know who's bad, who's good. They don't want to see that. They want to see Rocky versus... Oh, that is um, horrible. Versus the, versus the enemy. And that's understandable. That's why you want to, that's why you want, that's why you want to sell. If you're Fox, that's why you want to sell. If you're... now, I'm saying Fox. But, yeah. Um, that's because in the 90s, CNN was not probably not as liberal as it is nowadays, but it's applicable to CNN and MSNBC. Mm, yeah. Uh, what I'm saying about Fox. Yeah. But given that um, <laughs> it was pretty clear in the 90s already, that's that's what's in my in my thesis. But we could pretty much have a media versus media bias yeah. situation like that in the 2010s. Mm. So for me, my understanding is that obviously I grew up in a space and time, let's just say that I didn't have access to Fox, but we did have, say, like uh, conservative channels or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do realize like something that I used to do in my teenage years when I used to be a former news, I like to say former news junkie, is that I used to uh, listen to different outlets like BBC, CNN, every like, and then at some point Al Jazeera came along and it was not like, first it was Al Jazeera in Arabic and then it came in English and we're like, are we sure it's the right thing <laughs> because we don't know what's happening in Doha and you literally have to learn. You just have to listen, your news, you know, all these channels that were like telling you different things in different languages in different way of you know, tackling the problem, tackling. And I'm blown away to see how people until now, they still don't do that. With uh, When you have Wikipedia, you just have to Google and be like, I want to hear what Breitbart, I'm not, I'm not being sponsored. So people should like, chill out. I want to listen to Breitbart. Sponsored <laughs> by Breitbart, sorry. <laughs> I am so, by the way, I'm so shocked that you're still, you didn't have a word about Breitbart. Maybe it's like you're being gentle for now. <laughs> but you know, like you, or, you know, I read, I want to read something about what's happening. Uh, let's just say, I don't know, Middle East peace that's happening with Israel and different Arabic, Arab countries. I'll just listen to different... Atlantic political CNN. Why is it so difficult for people? And uh, I will not say laziness because I still don't understand what it is. 
when you have the means to get yourself educated, why they're not doing so? And this is our battle, man. This is what we've been talking for, let just say, a year. So, oh, go ahead. Because it's fairly simple. You have people in life that are interested in sports. You have oh, come on. Are interested I'm interested in, in their families. Well, man. No, no, no. You have people in life that are <laughs> interested in their families, interested in gardening, whatever. <laughs> yes. They come back from work. Why would they care about that foreign land called Israel and Palestine? <laughs> they don't even know where it is. They're not going to read about it. And that's, okay. that's a caricature. But yeah, you have, you have a few people that try to maintain some semblance of knowledge about the state of the world. Mm-hmm. But it's just not. And again, it's not entertaining. And how do you make it entertaining? By making it what I'm describing in uh, what I wrote, which is a movie about heroes and villains. Basically like watching the Avengers every day. This is what you're selling. But the Avengers, but every day you get something new. Every day you get (laughs) something in Congress. You get a speech by Matt Gates. You get a speech by uh, Pelosi. You get something like that. That's... It's a side world. Either I don't want to acknowledge that or at the end of the day, I realize that either the world is really sad and it is in a bad shape and it's sad to see what's happening or at some point people, and I'm not even saying uh, Americans only, but I will assume French people because uh, election coming up is at some point it's about your country, even though it's like every four or five years. I understand that foreign policy may not be a thing. It's, it is what it is. It's, so what's, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But if you're living in Atlanta, you should be worried about what's happening or you should care more about what's happening in Atlanta and Georgia. What's happening where? Uh, for example, you're a white male. I don't know. You want to learn more about what's happening in a BLM movement. I don't know. Why? Because you live in the suburbs, they're never going to come to your suburbs. <laughs> That's true. Like, you know, because I mean, the world is changing, maybe? And but maybe... The, world is, the world is changing. Who in the world is changing? Not my, not my lifestyle. Unless the economic crisis hit me, and then maybe I'm going to get interested in that. But, I mean, you could live in a bubble for your whole life. And, and the second thing I think that when you talk about politics, I think you have to realize, and yesterday I was actually in your position where I was moderating something with professors from Georgia State about mm-hmm. the debate, and they've been great, and it was, it was a great discussion, but you have to realize as well that when you're interested in something, you tend to project what you're doing onto others and say True. it should be the way they're doing. It should be the, the way it's being done. So if you're I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Foreign policy, I don't care. Like, if you tell me tomorrow, why, why don't you know what's happening in Peru? <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, I've never really been interested in that. And right now you're projecting your knowledge on me. And it's great because you're telling me something. But am I okay. going to want to learn more? No. Yeah, I understand. I understand that position. And I think I've been that person before and I'm maybe trying to change in a way. But at the end of the day, we're talking, let's talk about the BLM movement right now, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of people uh, doing something online and I'm pretty sure maybe 10%, if not less, do understand what's happening. By what's happening, meaning like the movement, what it stands for, obviously it's in the title, 
but what's happening behind closed doors, who's, who's in charge and, you know, all these questions that may sound silly, but are just a basic of any organization. Um, people are talking about racism. I see things online and I'm like, okay, so everybody's a racist now just because you're against someone. Like basically we're having this conversation and I don't like what you're saying. It's, I call you a racist. I mean, really? So is this, is this where we're going for? Like, and I feel like this is what's happening with the left where you agree with what I'm telling you. And mind you, I'm from Africa. So I, I, I know about you know, people hating each other and killing for whatever reason. I don't even know the reasons, but we have all this, like this, um, the history that shows us that if you don't behave a certain way, things can go out of hand. When I see Democrats, and I'm not trashing Democrats because it is what it is, and I read about Candace Owens, your friend Candace, that I hope to talk to one day, honestly, uh, just to be understanding of what, like it took me a time, like it took me a time to be like, I need to listen to what she's saying because whatever the media is telling me may be true. She could be whatever she's saying, a crazy person, you know, or I just listened to her. And I remember taking maybe half a day listening to whatever she had to say online. I was like, she's not crazy. She has values and she's standing for something. And I'm like, do people really understand that it's about like a month in and people are like either keeping Trump or, you know, getting Joe Biden. And my question that I've been asking you this whole time is like, what do Joe Biden stand, Joe Biden stand for? Like, what is his, other than saying, if you don't vote for me, you're racist. He, he doesn't have to stand for anything. Oh my God. <laughs> no, that's, I'm, I'm not saying it's the, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I, I'm pretty sure it's one of the worst choices of candidates in, since hey. my governor in 72, but, um, in 2020, he doesn't he doesn't have to stand for anything because the only thing he has to stand for, well, the only thing he has to stand is against Trump because that's the only thing that they can sell because they don't have a unified left. That's the problem. You you're you're having because they have the numbers. If they mobilize yeah. and if they give the policies that people are asking for, which some of it is progressive policies and I don't it's always it's always a concern for the moderates I don't think the moderates are going to be super sad if somebody else gets 15 15 dollars an hour okay so there are policies that they could propose but they are afraid of that why because they have links to corporations which the right has as well yeah. and that's hindering sure. politics in the US and elsewhere as well mm -hmm. and they're scared they're scared to innovate they haven't they haven't done anything new like if you if you look at the history of the democrats in recent years they've been following to an extent in the conservative direction this is changing a little bit because they have a progressive wing right now but when you see clinton um in the 90s even Obama to a certain extent, there are policies that like people like FDR or Johnson would have hated that they proposed. Mm -hmm. That's because it has moved. It ha like the, what they call in political science, the region of acceptability. 
Like where are people, where are the preferences of the people? Um, what's the scope of what is acceptable? Like mm -hmm. if you're there and you're going there, that's not acceptable. So there are things on the right that are not acceptable to the people. Things on the left that are not acceptable to the people. But it's Democrats, they don't, right now, they don't have anything new to offer. And you see it from the candidate. The candidate is a, is a former vice president, 47 years in office. They don't mm -hmm. have something new to offer. And, and how about the people who are voting Democrats, other than those who are in the know? I'm talking about, and we're coming back to influences again. If you don't vote Democrat, you know, today, you're literally labeled a racist. And for me, my understanding is uh, whatever, whoever, you know, I'm not the one who to know what's in someone's heart. I'm not God, so I'll leave it here. But when you see what Trump, President Trump did for the four years, and I'm talking about well, inside, not foreign policy, could people compare and be like, maybe the economy is doing well, maybe this is better than, so, you know, so first of all, like I don't want to I don't want to attack that on the substance, but the economy is not doing well. It's a certain economy that's doing well. Mm -hmm, sure, that's very important to to say that. Um, but to your point of can people make the realization of something like that by educating themselves, literally by just finding uh, numbers, just asking around, and just tell me what's up. Well, who are you going to ask around? Who or what? I don't know. You Google things and then you compare things. So Google know. has no bias. It what does, you but you Google compare. No you compare. You so, can go to Washington uh, Post and you can go... So how much, how much time do you give them to do that? How uh, much time I do you give people that are not interested to do that? Who are not interested in voting for their own president. They're interested in voting. They're not interested in doing the groundwork because the groundwork takes interest and, and time. Then, and then afterwards, they're going to complain that they didn't choose, uh, like they didn't, they're not okay with the president in place. And I'm like, of course, that's, of course, that's politics. No, that's called stupidity. That's No, that's called politics for most people because politics is something you have to attend to every four, five years, depending on your country. Sure. Yeah. You you look around, you ask around, you ask friends and family, you go yeah. you attend and friends and friends and family are they are they unbiased? No. They're not, but you hang out good. you hang out with the people that think like you. They're not going to do the work for you because even if they are interested, like most of the partisans right now they're interested in politics beyond the elections. Mm -hmm. What do they do? They have an algorithm on Facebook. Let's, let's take all people, let's say Facebook. So <laughs> you, you have an algorithm and like me, for instance, my algorithm is completely fucked up. He doesn't know what to do with me. One day I get Trump's ads, one day I get David Perdue, who's the Republican senator. The other day I'm gonna get uh, Lucy McBeth, who's a Democratic House uh, representative in Georgia. So I, I'm getting all, all that kind of stuff because I do that work of <laughs> At least I subscribe to uh, as right as Breitbart and as left as Daily Kos. Mm -hmm. So I get I get a lot of things, but you can't ask people to 
do the same thing. You can't expect people to do the same thing. That's Why? not their job. That is my job. That is my job as a grad student in political science. But at the end of the day, you will know how many rings LeBron James has on whatever NBA star. I mean, you'll be on point about what's happening in the sports world, but have no nope. idea what's happening in your nope. neighborhood. I, I will have no idea about who won the Super Bowl, for instance, because I don't care. And yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a very good point. Like, but it doesn't affect your whole life. Like, it doesn't affect your, the four, like, I don't care about you, a super. You start, you start from the premise, you start from the idea that electing a president affects your whole life. Somehow. Instrumentally, that's wrong. Like, in terms of rationality, that is wrong. The only thing that is going to affect, and that's rational, maybe a tax cut or a tax hike. Okay. I'll give you that. Okay. So it doesn't affect me or does it? Does it? It doesn't, it doesn't okay except, except except for those who are going to be impacted by that but that's the exception you can get in terms of instrumental rationality in terms okay. of expressive rationality which is emotions and effect if you are invested in it from the start it's going to affect you and you're going to want your team to your team to win but if you want your team to win what is your incentive to go look at the other side because you already have made your choice And people who haven't made their choice in the U.S. for the election that's in 11 days now, mm-hmm. it's because they don't give a shit. It's as simple as that. So what's the point of studying political science? Because either it's crazy to be like in the field because you know that everybody's going like behave, do things emotionally and irrationally. Or is it like a way of just like uh, controlling people? I don't know. Like, what's the is point? That- So that's, um, you, you have the exceptions that are interesting. Mm-hmm. But right now, the point I'm making is that you're talking as if the majority should have to inform itself. That's not how they perceive it. That's, and, that's, <laughs> that is my standard. <laughs> I hope it will. But that's 50 years of democratic theory that you're, like a lot of people would agree with you. A lot of scholars, mm-hmm. a lot of professors, a lot mm-hmm. of, pundits they would agree with you they would be like people would need to be more informed i mean but that is laying the problem at the feet of the people all the, every time that's saying people are stupid what is look at the supply the supply of news is biased or mm-hmm. uninteresting mm-hmm. let's agree on that like i mean I love NPR, for instance. NPR, they have great articles. They have smart articles. They mm-hmm. think that can be objective. But I mean, if I come back from work, do I want to tune on, tune on to NPR? I'm like, no, maybe not every day. My music. Sure, maybe not every day, but there is a purpose for NPR. NPR sorry. But if, you, if you're saying maybe not every day, so how do you quantify being informed? Like, what's your standard? Because you have to have a standard if you're telling me that people need to be informed. What's your standard? Okay, that's the thing. My question, my first question will be, we're in democracy, we're not in a monarchy. Well, let's deal with that. People refuse to live in monarchy for some reason, you know. Now you have to deal with the duty. Like, in French, it sounds better. Like, tes devoirs, de citoyen. Civic duty, yeah. You have to put that, because it's whatever your ancestors paid for like that's that's the, po- the whole point of democracy you have to learn study a bit maybe too much maybe go deep 
and then because not everybody's gonna feed you the news like at some point there is a reason why I left my house like my family house because at 18 19 was like oh Alex it's your time to do things on your own that's how you're gonna learn you you are you are literally a model of normative democracy you you are the kind of people that some of the the authors I read from, like from the nineties, from <laughs> some back in the nineties, they would like to have you in their democracy, and no, they would be I like, mean, "We want, we want Alex Land. No, no. we want, <laughs> we want, we want Boy City. <laughs> have it. This is this is a cadeau. This is a gift. No, but seriously, because at the end of the day, I'm gonna call on my parents and be like, "Can you tell me who to like who to vote for or to do this?" And I'm like, "Am I? I'm 32, man." I'm 32, I'm paying taxes and uh, like tomorrow if I want to buy a house, I have all these decisions. You take a real estate lawyer, you take whatever, like there's, there are people you you surround yourself with. And I'm like amazed to see how little interest or energy, let's just say that when you say you go home after a, a tough day or whatever, at the end of the day, you go to do your like you're shopping, you go to Walmart to buy your food. I don't know if it is every Saturday or every Wednesday. At the end of the day, you're tired, but you do so and you clean your house and you do things in order. Because you need to do that to live, to survive. And I feel like democracy is the same thing, man. Because if you're against something, what what you're saying is, what what you're saying that people should do is what democracy needs to survive. But what you're saying about Walmart is what you need to do to survive yourself. So people don't, they're not they're not going to hesitate long so basically we reached a place where democracy like pushed pushed them not me pushed them into a space of like individualism that whatever may affect you or abate or never you will never like try because it affects others you know what i mean like this is democracy like you want to just because it doesn't affect you on a daily basis knowing who's your mayor who's your governor who's whoever is in place yeah you're like, I don't care. But be, maybe the other guy who's like asking you to vote is telling you like, maybe the, like the, 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 the rights I'm setting forward or like the ideas and whatever I have are to help the poor, for example. And you're like super wealthy. Let's just say that. And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to vote because I don't care because I'm not poor. I'm like, uh, no. That's, that's that, so you're, you're setting self-interest versus altruism right here. It's not really, it's not really the question. The question is just interest, whether it's self or altru- altruistic interest, versus no interest. Like there are people who are rich and they wanna, they wanna help the poor. That ha- that does sure. exist. Yeah, know? yeah. They're they're dying. <laughs> yeah, no, not so many, but like right now, but they do it. <laughs> yeah. But for but, me, like, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. One one thing I would add is. I mean, you have to be blind right now. And I think some of some of the people in my department are blind because they're used to traditional politics and to following it so much. They don't they don't see what's happening. And I'm not talking I'm not naming names. There are some people who are very, very uh, they're they're seeing it very well. There are others. They're not seeing it at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are fed up with traditional politics. That's why Trump is here. That is why Trump is here, because they don't offer anything new. And you're like, okay, so what are you complaining about then if you're not? So why would I inform myself about that? Because I know there's not gonna be anything new. If you're looking for a change, if you wanna replace him, 
maybe you should find someone who's uh, standing for something somewhere, maybe in Iowa or Delaware. I don't know. But that's not, that's not, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. That The part that you're describing is the candidates and the party that are doing that. The parties are doing that. The candidates are doing that. And you can give, you can throw by at the activists that are going to vote in the primaries or in the caucuses. Mm. So those are the people that are going to influence who is going to run. Like you're, you're telling me, you t- right now I think you were telling me that I understand, somebody yeah. else than Biden, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. How do you get somebody else than Biden? First, your choice is limited. It's limited to the, to the primary field that we got. Mm-hmm. So who's really different from Biden? Kamala? No, because she's on his ticket. Pete? Not really. He's the young Biden. With the advantage <laughs> of being gay. So in terms of represent, representativeness, mm. it was good in the Democratic Party. It was bad in general election. Um, who else do, did we have? Warren. Warren is progressive, mm-hmm. but... She's progressive, but she also, in terms of personality, she, I don't think she fit the profile to, be, to become president right now. She needs to work on a few things. Sanders, Sanders is old. Like you, if Sanders were 45, I think he would be there because you would have had a lot of pressure to put him in place. Uh-huh. But he's just washed up. He's too old. Okay, let's talk about Bernie Sanders for a second and socialism. An American, or I don't know how you want to call it. Do people really understand what socialism is? It depends on your definition of socialism. Can you, you define socialism, socialism like an American way, American style? Because it's not. I mean, the, the image that we get of socialism here, mm-hmm. it's USSR, um, Eastern Bloc countries. It's not the image of Scandinavian socialism or even French socialism, mm-hmm. which is more moderate. And I don't think they would go all in with, um, with what people are thinking about mm-hmm. socialism. But the right has done an amazing job in terms of communication in uh, using what we call the Red Scare, which was what was happening at the time of communism back during the Cold War. And they dug it back from the grave. And that's why people are more scared of what we call socialism than probably they should be. I'm not saying that you don't have a few extreme socialists in the US. You do have some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the version that would come to politics under a Bernie Sanders, especially with the obstruction, the obstruction that you can get from um, the legislative branch, mm-hmm. this is not the version that people have in mind. And the right has done a tremendous job of propaganda about fear of socialism. Because why do they understand? Like for me, when I see socialism, it's obviously, uh, I, I myself living in France, there's like um, uh, USSR, as you said, the Bolsheviks or whatever. There's still, because the foundation is still there, you know? Like I cannot dissociate those two. And living in a country like capitalism that's king, it's like speaking two languages. For me, I'm like, do they even understand what it means for them? Like it's like... Uh, Healthcare, that sounds good. I mean, it's good that we have basically, no, it's not free, but almost free here. But my, my position is, uh, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like my position is to be like, when you go and ask for um, 
let me take another example other than socialism is like to defund police like for me again it's like when you use words of like i want this for me my understanding is like if i'm asking for something is that i have read about it and i've like educated myself and i'm talking about the or I, like bernie sanders obviously they know and people around them, not all of them, because sometimes I hear things and I'm like, they don't know what they're asking about. To defund the police, I'm like, <laughs> good Lord. What, what? What did you say? Like, everybody is a crook. Everybody is like, wow, I don't know. This is crazy. And coming from a place, Burundians, genocide happening, I can tell you this is like the craziest thing that I could hear from, from them. Socialism, it has like from, a, from the outside. A, that's the craziest thing you can hear. I think from the inside, mm-hmm. with if you look at look at the picture for, I had a great metaphor actually, but I'll come back to it. But look mm-hmm. at the picture for minorities in the U.S., especially blacks and Hispanics to a certain extent. The statistics are there, like no matter how much the right is finding rationalizations for that because they had a hoodie on, they were on drugs the day before, mm-hmm. they were on drugs the same day, they robbed the Snickers bar, uh, they didn't stop when they were asked to. There's a propensity among police officers to kill at a higher rate, at a greater rate, Black people or Hispanic people than whites. That's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Now, because you're in that culture where everything is black or white, good or bad, mm-hmm. there's no gray area. Well, you're going to get examples about um, police brutality. Like, you're going to get the, the worst examples all the time. Um, there's also more rare awareness about what's happening in terms of incarceration nowadays. Mm-hmm. So saying that it's stupid to defund the police instrumentally, yeah, probably it's not something that you want to see happening all over the US um, in every police department. But you do have police departments that are run are ran by um, are run by um, police unions that have had a history, like very pronounced history of police brutality, especially towards minority communities. And I think that the smart message would have been to target and to put in the, into the public instead mm-hmm. of making it a generalized statement. The smart okay, strategy okay. would have been mm-hmm. Milwaukee, Chicago, because mm-hmm. Chicago has probably won they have a lot to deal with in terms of police brutality. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the rational strategy. The emotional strategy is just to go to the street and have a slogan, have a demand like that. Which, and you you cannot, I think the problem you have is that you see politics as something that you read about, you uh, listen about, you hear things about, you need, I think my advice to you, if I, if I were to give you an advice about American politics, and I'm not in a position to do that, but just my bring it on. Yeah, my perspective would be, you need to see politics as something that people feel as well. Mm-hmm. And 
And it's rare that you're going to feel something about politics. Like it's very rare that you're going to go to the streets in the U.S. That's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. But if you have that many people in the street, it's because something is going wrong. Sure. No, I'm not dismissing the fact that there is a problem in the country. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I am not dismissing that at all. And I understand the emotional because obviously we're human beings and there are things uh, that may affect us deeply, obviously. But I... I understand and maybe my life experience have taught me, and I'm not to say that I have the answer to everything, that myself responding emotionally doesn't bring a lot of like um, good things, like on the wrong one. Like on, at the moment you can be like, I'm gonna, exp- like, I'm gonna explore, <laughs> I'm gonna do this and that. And obviously I, like I, right now people will not see it but i'm wearing a hoodie and wearing a hoodie in france i've been doing things for like 13 years and i love it i've been told that being in the us it may be a bit tricky i don't receive that but it is a reality on the you know uh, on the soil that i cannot forget basically mm-hmm. but at the end of the day i'm like guys um if i am to jump um, maybe on this subject it's like there is a problem there there are like intelligent people obviously there's a system a criminal system a justice system that's really tricky really that needs help like you guys need to defund things but maybe not the police like at this point do we even it's, understand the purpose of the police in itself you know what i mean well the, 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 that's, mm-hmm. the purpose of the police is pretty much exactly the problem they're trying to talk about and what we remember from what they're talking about is defund the police because we're in, the, we're in that cult, full circle back to the culture I'm talking about, a culture where right. it's this against that. Yeah. And you're not going to get the, the deep discussion of the issue, like what could we do about the unions? You haven't heard a thing about that. Yeah, that's true. What that's you've true. heard is defund the police because they need attention. They need public attention. They need donor attention. And you get more attention by saying defund the police and saying we're fed up rather than by, than by saying we want to sit at a table and negotiate. Yeah. That would be the goal down the line at some point. We're going to have to think about that. Hopefully. But right now, it's just raising awareness. And I'm, I mean, whenever I see protests here, like in the little time I've been here, I always feel like there's something, it's good to have that because it means that there's something and for Americans to protest, it's something pretty big because since mm-hmm. the 60s, there hasn't been much. But there's no plan, like there's no set plan about what's going to happen. Exactly. And that's the same thing on the right. When you go, when you storm, I forgot in which state it was, Michigan. When you storm the Michigan Capitol, what is your goal? What is your bottom line goal? It's to raise attention to your cause. Mm-hmm. It is not to say we, we, want, we want something else, we want something specific. It's just to say we're here. And at some point, if we don't get what we want, and what we want is a full thing, because it's a this or that culture, mm-hmm. what we want is the full thing. We want the whole justification of what we believe in. If we if we're not getting not getting that, it's going to escalate. So basically, we're using the like the, the cancel culture that I so dislike. Uh, that's happening on Twitter. We're using it like in politics, and it's like 
I mean, it's fun. It's cute. It's not even cute, actually, when it's、uh, canceling people. It used, but, it used to be cute, but I mean, it used to be. Can you imagine, like today, if I don't know, let's just say、uh, Beyonce were to say, "I'm voting for Trump," or just like acknowledge that she's like pro Trump on some things, she will never get. Was that Fifty Cent just did it? Yeah, Fifty Cent is no is not Beyonce. He's not like, big. He's、yeah. not as- I mean,、yeah. like, at the end of the day, you're like, "Oh my、I'm、goodness,、big. I hate you!" <laughs> no, you're like, "I hate her," but you're like, "She's so big that you cannot even cancel her. People will buy her." You can cancel her, like the right is going to cancel her, like she's canceled on the right. No, of course she's canceled on the right. But I'm, what I'm saying is like people like fifty cents. Cancel culture is the left. It's we call cancel culture what the left is doing. Oh my goodness! Everybody's canceling everybody. Come on, yeah. everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm telling you. Okay, that car. So I thought I thought it was no, but the thing is that like now when you say something like you cannot, you cannot even acknowledge something. Like, do someone has someone asked Fifty Cent like why are you voting for this guy or why、Because、are you? He doesn't want to pay taxes. There you go. So it's his right. It's instrumental. It's a freak. Oh, come on, it's a freak country. He's, he's paying too、you、much taxes. You should be happy that I'm playing instrumental. Then that means he did he did his research. He looked up the tax plan from Biden. There you go. He didn't say it. <laughs> Good for you. Or maybe his lawyer told him one. Yeah. <laughs> Financial advisors like, oh, dude. Good side of having people. <laughs> But you know what? This is more. At least you can say like, okay, this the, like now you know. What he's standing for, but, and people yeah, like going crazy. Kanye West is the same thing. Kanye West used to be funny, and now it's sad. But at the end of the day, he's standing for something. Can, can we just imagine like a world where we're like, so a black person is voting for Trump or he's voting for this? So now you're like, oh man, being canceled by black people when you're black. I mean, this is the best thing. <laughs> you're like, are you guys serious? Well, okay, okay about that, but let's just say that. Kanye is doing shitty music right now, so he. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Let him do his stuff, and you know,、uh, Gap thing and Yeezys, and but just to say, like, imagine this world where at some point we could hear somebody, Clint Eastwood. I remember like、uh, Iraq War, or、uh, three or four, basically. Remember at the time he was saying that he was like voting for Bush or whatever, and、mm-hmm. I'm home and I'm like,、uh, oh no. Well, no, at the time it wasn't such a big deal. Yeah, but, but for me, it was. I mean, for me, it was like, like,、oh. you you have a bias there, and it's it's true. There is no problem recognizing that, except for Democrats. But there is a bias there, and there is an expectation that you're going to be a liberal. I know that's the problem for me. And then you have on the other side Cardi B, who's interviewing. I can't stand that. Like, I I can't. Tell me more about that interview because I didn't even even listen to that. I heard she was.、Uh, I mean, interview. I haven't.、Biden. I haven't. I just saw a little bit, but. Thick. <laughs> I mean, it's this is a country like. I mean, the the problem I have with what you're saying is, who's legitimate to talk about politics? Uh, anyone who's concerned. Anyone who's concerned, yeah, it's like you feel concerned about something, you can talk about it. But to so use a platform, you concerned about it? I don't, no, 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 at all. The platform that Cardi B has, it's on entertainment. Does she really understand like what Biden is standing for? But that's because as a, you're saying that you're saying that people have a they they have boundaries in terms of what they can talk about. 
So shut up and dribble. No, 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 no. I mean, come on, you know, I'm not that way. But when you're talking about sports, I want LeBron James on the table. I don't need Joe Biden nor Trump. I but need LeBron James and Stephen Curry. At times, talking that? about sports. You get Trump talking about sports at times. And I don't Trump listen to that. And I don't but listen. It's your choice not to listen to it. But people who run the television networks or who run whatever, whoever's interviewing whoever, They do it because they make money out of it. It works. Of course, I understand. That's for sure. Let's just say one one more thing. Like a lot of people are more interested at in listening to Cardi B, even if they don't take her seriously, than listening to I don't know Dr. Chomsky, who was a legend in exactly. But that's why you don't understand. You don't understand that it doesn't sell. Like and the okay, so you get the. The politicians who deserve them at the end of the day I never said the opposite <laughs> that is that is so bad like this is a sad city because at the end of the day like in like in a couple of days trump is going to get reelected. what's going to happen in atlanta now uh, of course you're you're no i'm a yes you owe me champagne minimum champagne and then because yeah, this is going live online so. <laughs> i can see your face But yeah, imagine tomorrow. So people were like, oh, but you know, you guys told me to vote for him and he didn't, like Joe Biden didn't win. And it's a shame. And Kamala Harris will still be the token of whatever she's doing. And I'm pretty sure she's bright. And, but it's sad for her. She could have been there. Something else. We're going to fight. Going to burn the cities. There's, there's going to be something happening on either side. For sure. If Trump loses, trust me, there's going to be people in some street. For sure. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not very optimistic about how it's going to play end up. out yeah. in less than two weeks. Okay, last question. Imagine, like, in the last week or whatever, we realized that the Black vote was the Black... I will say evangelical, obviously, because we talked about that before, but the black vote really brought Trump back to, to another four years. Imagine that. I mean, one, kudos to Candace Owens, because it means that her work was like fruitful at the end of the day. And, you know. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be completely shocked about that because- Oh, okay. That was actually my metaphor, but I'm sure it's terrible. Anyway. Go ahead, go ahead. People will get to hear your sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I wrote something somewhere, but I don't have it. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, right now, the black vote, it's like you want to buy something fancy for Christmas. Like you want, you want to cook something fancy. Like let's say salmon. You want mm -hmm. a good salmon. But you only have two stores in town. And I'll take French stores so that we're good. You yeah. have Aldi and Little. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and Little is the Democratic Party. And you go to Little and, and you get, um, so you have someone to greet you, like in the US, like at Walmart, you have someone okay. to greet you. And they're like, oh, we value your business. And, you know, <laughs> but when you buy the salmon, you've bought the salmon for 30 years. It's mm. pretty much the same salmon it's nah. mm -hmm. it's not great it's meh right it's not great 
And on the other side, you have Aldi, which is the Republican Party. And they're not making any effort. They're not making any effort at getting your your uh, clientele. They don't want you in the store. Like they don't care. They have their yeah. Okay. Uh, it tends to be white in the suburbs. Anyway, <laughs> but you, you're not making any advertisement, any effort. Mm-hmm. And when a black person actually goes to um, to Aldi, they come in and they hear things that are not very nice about black people they're not being greeted mm-hmm. uh, the customers are being shouted at at times and it's not a nice experience but they buy the salmon and they're like oh, it's not really different from little and maybe even over time it's gonna grow on me and yeah. they like it more but there's it's basically the black vote is like on one side you have what you've been used to and it hasn't mm-hmm. been amazing but it's what you're used to and you cannot dismiss the, the power of custom in terms of voting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have people who really are not making any effort at, in terms of valuing you, not, not necessarily in terms of your interest, because there may be a point saying that, what do you have to lose? That mm. there may be a point because there were democratic presidents that did nothing for the black community. That's clear. Um, nothing substantial but at the end of the day you're probably going to go too little because you've been used to it and Aldi is like shitting on your clientele like they don't want you around so because and by saying they're they're not they do not want you around I'm referring Mm -hmm. to the the rhetoric from yeah yeah sure so okay I I get the I get the metaphor let's just say that I really need to go grocery shopping (laughs) <laughs> no but the thing is at the end of the day for me racism is still it's uh it's a problem that's it's not gonna be changed by law you know what i mean it's like at the end of the day uh either i'm and it's not that i'm insensitive because it would be crazy for me to say so but it, it's it's a problem that's deeply rooted either you deal with it back home and it starts at home that's my understanding you know but Go ahead. One, one thing i would say about that like to have it start at home and we hear that a lot in the media on concerts <laughs> okay, I, thought it was. okay. I mean there's an example to be set as well mm-hmm. so for instance if i were to vote in the u.s i'm not that much interested in my own economic well-being like if it's justified if let's say i earn like three thousand a month if it's justified for me to earn 2,800 so that it goes to people to help them and I can see that it that actually is being redirected I'm gonna I'm gonna take it but in terms of getting my vote you have to respect me like if like for for instance if I were to vote right now as an international person Mm -hmm. If I were, if I had the right to vote, I feel like this administration has disrespected us by, at some point there was an IC um, order that they had put in place saying, basically for me, I would have had to go home mm-hmm. as if I wasn't bringing anything to this country. I'm not bringing mm-hmm. much, but at least I'm, I'm not bringing any problems, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a lack of respect. And when I look at what both sides have to, have to offer, I don't see a real difference. 
And usually with custom, if I go back to the, to the, the example of minority voters, mm-hmm. I see the difference that I've always been told that the Democrats are on my side. And if I don't look up what they've brought to me, then I'm very likely to stick with them. But like, do you, is it because it's a feeling or do you know on paper that they're on your side? That's what I need to know. Because when people say, like black people say, oh, Bill um, Clinton, this and this and that, at the end of the day, you kind of need to know what he did for the black uh, community. Mm-hmm. If, they talked, if they talked about it two days ago, I'm really glad they did. Because at the end of the day, it means like it's out there. It's like, it's not even a secret. He signed whatever he signed, the papers. So for me, if you say, okay, uh, I've been mistreated by the left or the right, is it because you heard it somewhere or just because it really affected me? I could say the same thing with friends. It's, it's, go- it's going to be a lot about the feelings um, because mm-hmm. let's remember we're also talking about 20 years ago in terms of the crime bill. What? What? Uh, 25 years ago, actually. So you're talking to a generation that would have had to be interested at the time to know. Um, but usually people are going to be more interested in what you can bring to me now. And they remember things that Trump has done, not necessarily things in terms of policies, because policies are not being as advertised as you would like. Mm. But in terms of rhetoric, in terms of how he behaved, that's more recent. And there's what we call the recency bias in psychology, where you're going to vote based on recent consideration if you don't pay that much attention to what's going on. Mm. So the fact that Biden signed the crime bill 26 years ago, not necessarily going to hurt him that much, but it's a good strategy to try it right now. It's a better strategy than saying, what do you have to lose? At least there is an argument on top of that. Good Lord. Yeah, that's, uh, man, okay. So you owe me a bottle of champagne because we're in France. And uh, I have a, like a meeting somewhere. We have to go somewhere. I'm not going to say this live, but when I win, I'll go somewhere. When you win, you'll take me somewhere. Liberal. So, <laughs> so thanks. Ah, ah, yeah, yeah. Not, they, not, yeah. The, not the bottle, but it's okay. <laughs> not a bottle. No, no. I'll take. I'll take whiskey. T- yeah, I mean, uh, I'll take gin or tequila then. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's interesting for all of us who kind of have an interest, let's just say, to the American politics because it kind of touches the world at the end of the day. Who's in charge? Who's not? And uh, was that uh, less and less now? Like. really yeah dude yeah really because um one thing that you can say that he has done uh Mm -hmm. trump is to push the u.s towards more isolation and less involvement and so there's going to be less i think there's going to be less consequences than we could have expected in terms of word politics like it's it's a period of time where New powers are emerging and they're just looking at each other. And I don't think in the next four years, we're going to get something crazy, but you think something different. So. We'll see. That's the beauty of politics. Let's see. And uh, I don't know if uh, the vice president will still be the vice president. Who knows? It's going to be, you know, Mr. Pence. We'll see. But uh, hey, it was a pleasure. We'll still argue. 
until, until, until. And uh, for those who still have values, go on his uh, Instagram page and just like, don't cancel him. Just like. I, I am not. I am not. <laughs> I'll probably see it in three months. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just uh, show your profile, whatever, your web uh, site. Yeah, I'll, and I'll send you something you should have. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Tia. Uh, you know, Thank you. To the next discussion. Yep. Cheers.